I'm going to start reading from chapter 10, verse 39. For we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Father, we thank you for your word. Now as we continue to worship you, Lord, we seek to trust that passage where it says faith comes from hearing the word, the word of Christ. So as we hear your word this morning, we pray that you would give us this faith to purify our faith, Lord. We ask this for your glory. Amen. I'm going to have to change my whole sermon. Because Brett was teaching this morning, and he said that, or alluded to that preachers can't use drama in their sermon. So I was going to ask, I'm joking right now. I wasn't really going to do this. But if we were at camp, I would do it. I would ask for a volunteer. Who would volunteer to come up and stand right beside me? So somebody would come up. I would call on Brett, because he's tall and strong. And I would have him come up and stand right here and close his eyes and put his hands like this. And then I would get behind him with my muscular frame and say, Now, Brett, just lean backwards and let go. And then Brett, because he trusts me so much, would just lean backwards and all the, you know, he would just collapse and fall and I would, I would catch him. That is an example of, of what? Of faith. Maybe you've been part of a youth ministry or a business meeting or a sporting event where you've done stuff like that. I've done that. Where each person that was part of the internship in this ministry we all had to catch one another to prove that we were trustworthy, but also willing to trust others. Now that's a demonstration of faith, but it's not a necessarily, it's not a definition of faith. So adults and, and kids, so if you're over the age of three to 99, finish this sentence. And you can use more than a word, you can use you know, a whole clause or whatever. Don't, you can't quote anything from the Bible. Okay? Faith is blank. Faith is what? What is faith? You can shut it out if you want to. Faith is, you can't say believe, you can't say trust, you can't say rely. Faith is, if somebody came to you, what's that? Knowing God's word, sure. Resting, good. That's a good word. I should have said you can't use the word resting. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me that even with Scripture, though we see the words a lot, faith, believe, and trust, there is also a lot and perhaps more even depictions of faith, more than just a definition. And in fact, in this chapter, in chapter 11... Verse 1, we see the definition, and then verses 3 all the way to the end are depictions of faith. But 
Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 does define faith. And so this morning, we want to seek to understand exactly what this faith is. Once we understand what it is, then we will be more able to even understand the depictions even better. And it's important because we see in Scripture that faith calls us to pray in faith. Didn't Jesus said, if you pray and believe, that's the word faith, you will have that of which you've asked. James 5 says that we should pray for the sick and we should do that in faith. We're called to live in faith. Galatians 2.20, this life I live, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5.9, we walk not by sight but by faith. What is faith? Well, this chapter and this verse is going to tell us what this faith is. And in context of the book of Hebrews, it's extremely important because it says in Hebrews 3.19 to the this church, but also of the Israelites and also to us, that they did not have faith to enter the promised land. They acted in unbelief. And faith is, yes, for the Christian life, but faith is to get into heaven. Not just a one-time faith that you had 30 years ago, but faith at the end. In order to go to heaven, we need to have a persevering faith. Walk in faith, live in faith, pray in faith, love in faith. Even even loving. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, one of our kids' memory verses Circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but rather faith working through love. For us to truly love, we have to have faith. So it's important to understand what this faith is. And for the context of our book, we've said that this whole passage is saying faithfully press forward in Jesus Christ, especially during difficult times, so that we don't fall away, but rather believe all the way to the end. And there's three means to have this kind of faith. We've seen, first of all, the first means was understand the best is yet to come, chapter 10, verses 32 to 39, or 34. And the best to come is in heaven, in glory, with Christ. The second means, we said, refuse to lose your confidence, have a gospel confidence, believe and trust in all that God is for you in Christ Jesus. And then this morning, we're going to start this third means. And this is exercise your faith. If you want to faithfully push forward, you have to exercise your faith. And in one sense, the book of Hebrews is about faith. We, we think Romans 4 is about faith. Certainly it is. James chapter 2 is about faith. Faith works. But at least from chapter 319 of Hebrews all the way to the chapter 11 toward the end is also all about faith. Faith in Jesus because he is supreme and he is sufficient. His work and his person is supreme and sufficient. So we place our faith in him all the way until the end. Till we die and we see Christ. Well, this takes exercising your faith. If you and I physically don't exercise ever, then that can hurt our, 
our bodies. That can hurt our health. I think America is one of the most unhealthy nations in the world now. To really get in shape, you have to get out of bed. You have to put down your cell phone. Put down the cell phone and get out of the chair and get in shape is what we should all do physically, much more even spiritually. But you have to move. To stay in shape, you have to move. Now, a good example, but maybe not that wise, is our brother Ron. So I was at the hospital yesterday talking to him. So he had three, I think, tubes going into this arm, oxygen going into his nose. And we start talking, and he goes, Tom, I have to get out of bed. No, no, Ron, please, you're, don't, don't get out of bed. Well, I have to at least sit up. Uh, okay. So he, you know, does the bed, sits up. Tom, I have to get out of bed. Ron, I, look, your ventricles are leaky. I don't want you to die on me right here, right now. That's why I said, don't get out of bed. So he got out of bed, and as soon as he got out of bed, do you know what happened? This loud, I mean, loud alarm went off, and this nurse comes in. What are you doing? Uh, it wasn't me. It was I said Ron did it. I was getting ready to tackle him. You know, Ron has always had this desire to to work and to move and to be active, no matter his age. He wants to go. That's what faith does. Faith wants to go. Faith wants to exercise it. Its own nature does. And if we don't do that, then our faith can not be in as shape as it should be. Our faith needs to mature and to grow. And to do that, we must exercise it. But it really helps to understand what faith is. And that's why I think verse 1 here starts by giving us this definition. So first, there's a definition to understand. You can use the word trust, believe, uh, take a refuge. One of the things I used to do with my kids is I would have them be on the stairs. And I would say, guys, here's an example of faith. Uh, Jump off the stairs into my arms and I promise I will catch you. I don't do that now. They would crush me. But back when they were, you know, from two to six, they would jump and I would catch them. You, you launch yourself. You, you cast yourself onto God. And to be honest, if somebody said to me, define faith, I probably wouldn't define it as Hebrews 11.1 does. But this is God's definition. And therefore, it's the best definition. Now, this does not say everything that the Bible says about faith, but this is something that the Hebrews needed to hear. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. My my dear mom had this verse memorized, and she would preach to me very frequently Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and Hebrews 11, 1, all the time. <laughs> and so those verses has stayed with me. But here's the, the interesting thing that will probably take us some time to go through. The New American Standard has it as I just read to you, but depending upon what verse you use, it can sound differently, at least the first clause. For example, uh, the New International Version 
Now faith is confidence in what we hoped for and assurance about what we do not see. Well, that's a little, a little bit different. New Living Translation, faith shows the reality of what we hoped for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The ESV, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Berean Standard Bible, now faith is the assurance of what we hoped for and the certainty of what we do not see. The New King James Version, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Christian Standard Bible, that's the Holman Standard Bible. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The English Revised Version, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the proving of things not seen. Then the Young's literal translation, and faith is of things hoped for a confidence of matters not seen a conviction. So there's similarity, but also there's some difference of exactly what is this talking about? Mainly you'll have, and look at verse 1, you'll have now faith is the reality or the substance of what we hope for, or faith is the assurance of what we hope for. So you have a more objective translation, which would be substance or reality, and then you have a more you have a more objective, which would be substance or reality, and then you have a more subjective translation, which is this, I'm sure of, or I have this assurance of what I've hoped for. So why, why are these different translations? Is that bad? Is that good? I think it's good that we have different versions so we understand that there's different nuances that people decided to, to translate with. There's different translations because though this is only one verse, and it's not difficult, the Greek, but the theology behind it is deep. And whenever somebody makes a translation, their theology, to some degree, will influence their translation. None of those translations that I read are, are unbiblical, are, are bad translations, but they're seeking to emphasize certain aspects of the Greek in the sentence. It can be a little bit more subjective or a little bit more objective. So how do we understand this? And so I just want us to spend some time on, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and primarily on this word assurance. And if I look in my Bible, my numeric and standard, I have a one by assurance. And so if I follow that, to the margin, it says, or substance. So what is this verse really saying? Is it assurance or is it substance? Is it objective or subjective? So j- just a few thoughts about this. Uh, number one, the term itself, the Greek word is hypostasis. Hypostasis. That word might sound familiar to some of you. Because we get our word, the hypostatic union of Christ, the, the deity of Christ, and the humanity of Christ, and how those relate to one another is called the hypostatic union. We get that word from this word, and it's a compound word. Uh, stasis, you, you've heard that word, right? Something is in stasis, something is, you know, being still. Sta means to stand. 
And the hooper or the hyper can mean under or super. That's the morphology of this word. And a basic definition is it can be a foundation, a reality, depending upon context. It can be substance, um, assurance, or confidence. Usage in the Bible, in the New Testament, maybe four or five times it's used of confidence or assurance. But then it's used in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, and it says, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. When it talks about the, the being of Christ, His reality, His substance, that is objective in verse 3. But it's also used in chapter 3, verse 14. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So in this book itself, you have subjective and objective usages of this term. And it's important that we seek to understand because it's faith, me being, okay, God is working in my heart and, and I'm really certain, I'm really certain, I've been praying, you know, I have these extra wisdom teeth up here in my head and I've been praying they would come, this is true, I've been praying that they would come down they haven't come down yet. But in my heart, I feel that God is telling me they're going to come down. And so I believe. And then it doesn't happen. I believe because I thought God was giving me assurance in my heart. But then it doesn't happen. And then my temptation can be what? God tricked me. God fooled me. Or my faith was too weak. And so we do need to understand what is chapter 11, verse 1 saying when it says either assurance or substance? Well, historically, this word that is hypostasis, you have many books that men, scholars have written over the year, gathering all the ancient Greek writings together and looking at secular ancient Greek to find out how words were used. And could the New Testament have pulled from that usage of words? And so often this word was used in historical secular writings for external proof or a guarantee. One such book that does this research is by Moulton and Milligan. And about this word, in this verse, they said, quote, this is their translation, Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Now, I wouldn't translate it that way. They did from their understanding of ancient Greek. A.T. Robinson, who's written the word pictures, and he was alive right after the Civil War and wrote a huge Greek grammar that's very helpful. He said this about this word. Anything under a building, you know, a foundation, but it could be a contract, it could be a promise in secular Greek. It was found in business documents for the basis or the guarantee of transactions. Another dictionary uh, for Greek, one of the ones that's mainly used today, says, quote, and faith things hoped for to become realized, a, a proving of unseen things. So then, how do, knowing all that, 
how, how do we understand this term here in this context? Well, here's what I, I would suggest myself. You have in context both the objective and you have the subjective. And verse 3, you can see it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. That is that which is objective, this word of God. We trust God. You'll see as we go through these passages, uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses heard God. God spoke to them. They took the word of God and they believed God's word. There is this objective element of God's promises. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. They believed the promises, but the promises did not fully become inherited in their own life. It is this promise that is external from the word of God. Either the written word of God or God speaking to them. That is, this objective reality is God's word, God's narrative, God's decree. There is the subjective element. You have that in verse 39. But of those who have faith, we saw it in Hebrews 3.19, the, the negative of unbelief, they had unbelief, and so they couldn't enter the promised land. And even in chapter 11, over and over and over and over again, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. This is that subjective faith. So I think in chapter 11, verse 1, you have both this objective and subjective nuances here. That is, again, objective is this reality or this substance that we hope in. That is the rock foundational narrative that we believe is what God has said. There's also this trusting, this receiving, this relying upon. And both those elements, I think, are here. So here's my paraphrase. Faith is a soul grasp of God's narrative. Faith is a soul grasp of God's narrative. That is, in your, in your inner self, you are reaching out and laying a hold of and apprehending what God has said about the universe, about himself. It's true because God said it. I believe it. I'm going to clasp onto it. I'm going to hang onto it. I'm going to grasp it with everything th- that I am because he's true. So God's narrative is the reality or the substance of what is hoped for. So grasp, because it is, you have something you hope for, and even this word, hoopostasis, can have this idea, even in it, of, of confidence and assurance. So faith is this soul grasp of God's reality. What God says is true. Now the second clause here, the second part of this is easier to understand. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is funny, if you look at the word conviction, many commentaries and even some preachers will say, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Actually, that's not true. This is the only time the noun is used, <laughs> but not the verb. The, the verb is used many places, and you're going to be familiar with this. I'm talking about the second part of verse 1 where it says, 
Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Conviction. Can you think of a place maybe where that has been used? It's, where am I going? It's very familiar to most preachers. This word is, though it's translated a little bit different in the context I'm thinking of. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. It's the same word. Rebuke is the verb. Conviction is a noun. You could translate easily and, and correctly, Second Timothy four two. You could say reprove, convict. The Holy Spirit convicts people, but so do people. Convict other people. It's also used in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's the word there. Expose them. Verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. If I'm preaching or if you're preaching or if you're speaking to somebody and you're seeking to minister to them, you talk about their life, you bring truth to bear on their life and their sin is exposed and then they are seized in their heart by the guilt of that sin. That is a rebuke. That is conviction. And so then if you go back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, first I said that faith is a sole grasp of God's narrative. I think you could paraphrase then. Secondly, this part about conviction is faith is your soul convincingly gripped by spiritual realities. So the first part of this verse is it's a sole grasp of God's truth of spirituality. You lay hold of it. You grab it. You make it your own. It's yours. The flip side, and by the way, there's almost a Hebrew parallelism here like you have in Psalms or Proverbs. Here, you have not so much you lay hold of it, but it's working deep inside your person. And so you're seized by the truth of that which you cannot physically see, but know that it's more true than that which you can touch. It's eternal truth. And in your heart, you're seized by it, and your soul is surrendered to it. So faith is a soul grasp of God's narrative. Faith is your soul convincingly gripped by that narrative, by God's narrative, God's truth, God's word. So you say, I believe. So together, then, we could say it this way. Your great expectations are not based in your dreams, the dream of the world, the dream of the newspaper, the newspaper of the, the blog. Your great expectations are not health, wealth, and power in this world, but you find all of your happiness and all of your health, wealth, and power in the world of Christ and Christ's kingdom and God's truth and God's reality and his world. And faith then is gripped by that and grasps that. Now, 
verse 2 is going to begin the depictions of this. For by it, verse 2, the men of old gained approval. And if you look in your margin again with the word gained, it will say they obtained a good testimony. The word good is not in the Greek. It's just a word for witness or, or testimony. And it's passive, meaning that the Old Testament saints, which we'll see in the weeks to follow, the whole world, they witness men and women being gripped by God's truth and grasping God's truth. And so verse 2 is going to give, it's the bridge that goes for the rest of the chapter supporting this. So this is what faith is. It's a sole grasp of God's narrative and then it's being gripped by it in the deepest part of your soul. Now, some corrections and some applications to to think about. Do you see faith as positive thinking? Have you ever been exposed to that movement? Po- the positive thinking movement? Just be positive? Now, there's a difference between positive thinking and grumbling. Sometimes I, I can grumble too much. But faith doesn't mean necessarily that you always are going to be positive. You can look at the book of Habakkuk. Did you know Habakkuk chapter 2 is quoted many times in the New Testament about faith? But one of the most destructive books in terms of what's going to happen in the future is found in the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> Could you say that the book of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Habakkuk is a little bit negative? I think so. Could you say that Genesis chapter 6 through 9, or mainly Genesis chapter 6, is negative? The judgment of the world by the flood? What I'm saying is that faith doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. That's not what faith means. If you go through these depictions of faith, it doesn't say, for example, by faith, verse 17, by faith Abraham had an easy life. Amen. Moses, by faith he had an even easier life. Verse 31, Rahab the harlot believed, was forgiven, and had an easy life. Samson had an easy life of faith. No, verse 37 says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Holes in the ground? <laughs> Jeremiah, I guess. I wonder if we would see those same men today, if we would think that they were men of faith, or would we say, you guys are crazy. You're absurd. But they were men and women of faith. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured. Faith is not necessarily positive. 
faith could be, you're going to face many persecutions, but I'm with you. Faith is not necessarily positive or easy, but faith believes that God is with you, Christ is with you, and he'll give you everything you need to get through the difficult time. A second correction. Creating realities. Does faith create reality? At least one of the translations that I gave almost comes across like if you have faith, then you can create your own reality through the so-called Christian positive thinking and through some extremely hyper-charismatic theology. There can be this, and I've heard it several times, if you believe and have faith, that faith will create God's reality for you. It will make it happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you don't have the faith. Have you heard that before? That's false teaching. True faith is not about crea- creating your reality. It's about trusting God's reality. True faith is not about creating reality. It's about trusting God's reality for you. We've seen that, but we'll see that especially in chapter 11. Because there can be this teaching that true faith is like a higher level. If you have true, true faith, then you're going to see God do miracles in your life. When's the last time you've seen a miracle in your life? It's because you don't have faith. Have you heard that teaching? I've heard that teaching. Right? Expect a miracle from God. What kind of miracle? That I'm going to overcome my anger? Usually it's something that's more physical, often involving money (laughs) or health. But God doesn't promise those things in all kinds of abundance in this life. Faith isn't a higher reality. Faith is the norm for the Christian life. We live by faith. We pray by faith. And by God's grace, we'll die in faith. Also, you might have heard, faith is sitting back and and letting go. Faith, you you sit back and and you let go. That's also a destructive teaching. Right here it says, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Faith actually goes forward. You, You can think of the children of Israel. They would not enter the promised land. They, they were letting go. They said, no, we're not going to take one more step to the promised land. And so they never received God's best for them. I'm reminded of Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings after you. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand holds me up. We press hard after God in faith, knowing all the time it's His gracious power that is enabling us to do that. Faith works hard, and faith follows hard after the Lord. Now, some applications. As we think through this, 
some applications. You can see this on your notes if you have your notes in front of you. First application. How do we grow or mature in our faith? And as we go through this chapter, all these depictions will, will teach us how we do that. But before we look at those, what are some things we can go home with t- today? First, we must be attentively reading the word. Attentively. We read the word and we give it our attention. And I have said this and, and we talk about it repeatedly, but there is a great temptation uh, for me to say, okay, I have to have my Bible reading, and right now I'm reading through Romans. I try to read two chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament every day. I haven't done that today. I have to do it today. I have to get it in. And so then I'll read it. Done. I finished it. Now God bless me. That's not attentively reading. (laughs) Again, the Bible is not a rabbit's foot. Everybody read your Bible. It'll be blessed by it. Is that how it works? No, but we can treat it that way. We all must stop doing that. Slow down. Pay attention to what we read. How do you do that? Find a promise that you can trust. So as you're reading, is there a promise that you can trust? Maybe there's not a specific promise, but is there something about God that you can trust? So with Ron, I read Romans 8. And we got to the end where it talks about the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Death and life and principalities and sin and temptation. Things to come. Things. To, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. So I encourage them to trust God's love. God, God loves you. Nobody has loved you as much as God loves you. This love of God is... Stronger, tougher than if you combine somehow diamond and a legendary metal of adamantium. If you combine those together, that could never be broken. Where God's love is even more unbreakable than titanium. Cannot be broken. Nobody or nothing can stop God from loving you, believer. Nobody. And nobody has loved you like God has loved you. And so when you're reading God's word, you find a promise or God's character like that. and You meditate on that, which means you, you pray about it, you think about it, you ask God to give you the grace to trust that. And this increases your faith, because you're finding God's narrative, you're finding God's reality. So the substance of your hope, the substance of what you are seeking to have confidence in, is not this construct where you... You yourself have made, you've mapped out your life. Here's what we're going to do, here's what I'm going to do, and this is all that's going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. Rather, trust God's word and God's narrative and God's character. That is the substance, the reality that we have our confidence in. And that comes through this attentive reading. Secondly, we must be adoringly, adoringly relating to God. Seeking to know God. This faith, it is certainly acknowledging and realizing that God is real. The Bible is real. Jesus is Lord and Savior. There is this acknowledgement of that position. But even the demons believe that there is one God. 
Even the demons looked at Christ and said, Behold, the Son of God, the Holy One from God. Even demons said that. And they'll be sent into the lake of fire. There is with this faith, not just this acknowledgement, but also this aspect that adores the beauty of God, the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's why even in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. There is this seeking to get near to God on his own terms through Christ, not looking at ourselves, not based upon our own merit, but rather Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. That is by the cross of Christ. And we get near him, seeking to know him. We seek to know and to worship that which is most beautiful, most loving, and most trustworthy. And that's who? Jesus Christ. I'll come back to it again. Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the Son. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is in this faith this, I adore the Lord. And so I, more than anybody or anything else, and so I want to get as close to him as I possibly can. This is the environment that our faith grows. God is a person. He's not some kind of abstract being. Psalm 63. Let's turn back there just briefly. and Or you can just listen as I read the first three verses. And ask if this is the faith that is in your heart. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in your sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Do we have this type of faith to know God, to know God the Son, that we can say His loving kindness is better than life, and so I press hard after Him. Third application, thinking through some different components and aspects of of faith and how to grow in our faith, is that we must be truly saved. You, You must be an authentic believer. In the book of Hebrews, and at least in two different places, the writer says, I believe you're really saved. You're being tempted, and maybe some have fallen away, but most of you are really saved. You you really have faith. But for you and I to actually grow in our faith and to mature in our faith, we have to be sure that we have faith. That's why even Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 13, verse 5, Examine yourself to be sure. Be sure that you're in the faith. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that all the ones who are believing in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you have this faith, not ten years ago, not three years ago, but right now, are you believing, not just that Jesus is God, but are you grasping hold of him 
and being gripped on your heart that there's nothing better than the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Nothing else and nobody else will save you except for Christ. And so you cry out on him. All those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So for some of you, you might need to take the initial step of faith and say, it's not just that I acknowledge God is real, but I want to, to trust God's Son to save me from my sin. The, the reality that, that you need to embrace is that you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and that Christ paid the atonement for your sin on the cross and rose again. So maybe you have not yet sweetly surrendered to that reality. And the first thing you need to do to have faith that perseveres is to have that kind of trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard this saying. It's been used in sports. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. Rather, it's the size of the fight and the dog that matters. Have you heard that before? Perhaps we could say this. It's not the size of your faith necessarily that matters, but will you get serious with the faith that you have? I've heard many times, but my faith is small. If you have a tiny faith, so small, Jesus says you can move a mountain. It's not necessarily the size of your faith but the size of the object of your faith. And that's Jesus Christ. So will you use your faith this morning to take one more step closer to Jesus Christ? And maybe this morning you would say, but my life right now is hard. Right now my life is is difficult. There's emotional and physical pain and and things are scary and things are tough and and I, I just don't know. Faith is for the most difficult times of your life. That's what faith is designed for. Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all these men and women, they went through very difficult times. Being sold in two was probably pretty traumatic. But they had faith. And faith got them through these incredibly difficult times. Remember this. Faith is for the storms of life. And the storms of life will come. And faith follows hard after Jesus Christ. May God bless his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even the lessons to come that we will have upon faith. Lord, clarify our minds as to the the nature of faith, Lord, that it is this soul grasping the truth of God about everything, and then it's being seized by that and convinced by that in the deepest part of our being, so that we say, yes, God. Lord, may you do that work in us. We give you the glory. Amen.